Lord, thank you so much for these guys. What a, what a blessing it is, God, God, just to come in and spend some time uh, kidding around and hanging out and talking and laughing together. But God, as we uh, look at your word, let's look at uh, how we need to age gracefully, biblically, and just uh, be challenged. Uh, God, give us a sense of urgency, even in the days ahead uh, and in the moments ahead. God, thank you for uh, uh, Joseph as he's here new today and others that are around, Steve, and just, uh, God, pray that uh, this would be a beneficial season and time for all of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you know, as we think about uh, growing old, I ran across a couple of uh, quotes um, it said, uh, one of these quotes was this, uh, some old women grow bitter with age. The more their teeth drag out, the more biting they become. And uh, the truth is, uh, that's not just for old women. A lot of times, the older we become, the grouchier we become, the more angry we become. Here's another one. Uh, this one says, uh, most men spend the first half of their lives making sure the second half of their lives is miserable. You know, you know what I'm talking about? They're sowing the wild oats, and by the time they get to their old age, they're sitting there begging for do-overs over and over again. Um, here's another one that says, uh, uh, when grace is joined with wrinkles, it's absolutely fantastic. Just a young person just said, when grace is joined with wrinkles, it's fantastic. The word was adorable. Uh, here's another one. Uh, here's, uh, it says, to keep the heart unwrinkled, uh, to be hopeful, kindly, and cheerful, and reverent, that is the triumph of old age. We'll say that again. To keep the heart unwrinkled, to stay hopeful, be kindly, be cheerful, and stay reverent, that is the triumph of old age. In Psalm 92, uh, in verse 12 to 15, here's what it says. It says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still, still bear fruit in old age. They will always stay fresh and green. Let me read that again. They will still bear fruit in old age, and they will stay fresh and green. Man, if you think about that, uh, as we age, as we journey through life, that, that is our hope that uh, as long as I have on this earth, that I will stay fresh, I'll stay green, and I will bear fruit, good fruit, even in my old days, even in my old age. And that's kind of what we want to make sure of. Let me give you a couple of biblical examples, and this is in the pa passage, a few biblical examples of guys, even in their old age, had fire and vim and vigor and were bearing fruit. Uh, and, and this is just a sampling. There were many other ones. Uh, take Moses, for example. When Moses was 120 years old, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 7, it says Moses was 120 years old when he had died, yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. Man, Moses to the end. Uh, was always looking out. What is God doing? What does God want to do next? Where does God lead our children uh, again? And he stayed strong, and he, and he moved forward journey. We want to be that way. What about Joshua? Remember Joshua in his last address uh, when he addressed the elders? Uh, notice conviction that Joshua still had to carry on in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. He says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day uh, which, when you will, who, who you will serve, whom you will serve, 
whether the gods of your ancestors that they serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You know, Joshua said, you do what you want to. If you want to go back to the old things, the former things, the gods of the people that you serve beyond the Euphrates River, you go for it. But he says, but for me and my household, for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Uh, what about Paul? Uh, we were not sure, you know, Paul clearly didn't live like Moses or others who lived to be 120 years old. But even as Moses' as Paul's death was growing in, uh, he faced death with courage and also with faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 to 8, you can read it, it says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time of my departure is coming near. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He says, and now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. You know what Paul was saying? He's being an encouragement to others. He says, the day of, of my death is drawing near. He says, my life is pretty much being poured out like a drink offering. He goes, but as I look to heaven, there is an award waiting for me, but not just for me, for all who stay faithful. And let that be an encouragement for all of us, man, as we journey uh, toward um, the end of our days. Now, let's be honest. I don't want the end of my days to be today, all right? I don't want it to be in the next week. I, I hope it's a long way, but here's what I do know. As Paul said, when I get there, there will be an award for me. And everybody who stays faithful in the Lord, if you jump down just a few verses right there in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 16 to 18, he says, uh, at my first offense, uh, no one came to support me. Boy, it's kind of interesting that Paul, he, he says, listen, when I first defended myself, no one showed up. It was just me. And if there was ever a time to shrink back, it's one of those times. He says, no one showed up. No one was there to support me. But everyone, listen to this, deserted me. And, you know, and that, that's a reminder to us that there can be seasons and times in life where it feels like everybody's gone. That I've stayed faithful, but everybody has deserted me. And that's what Paul said. And then if you continue to read on, he says, uh, may it not be held against them. Did you get that? May it not be held against them. What is that? That's called grace. You know, and as we journey through life, man, one of the things that we need to start doing is living with more grace, not less. And a lot of times in our world, that's exactly the opposite of what we do, isn't it? The further we get along in our days and in our, uh, in our relationships, we live with less grace, not more. And Paul says, man, no one was there for me. I was there for them all the time, but no one was there for me at the end when I was making my first defense. He says, but don't hold it against them. So what about Peter? Peter, as he got older, uh, how many of you remember Peter? Man, uh, open mouth, insert foot, uh, brash, uh, angry, Lord, if, uh, if everybody else denies you. I won't deny you. Well, the reality, if you look at the context of that situation, when he said if everybody, everybody else denies you, uh, he wasn't talking about us. He was standing right there with all the disciples. And he was saying, if these knuckleheads all desert you, I will not. And then remember what happened. Boy, just right after that, deny, deny, deny. Then Jesus died, buried, rose again the third day. And what was Peter doing? He'd gone back fishing. He was done. And Jesus showed up to Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And he goes, Lord, you know I love you. And he goes, feed my sheep. 
Then Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you love me? And he goes, Lord, you know I love you. And he goes, well, then feed my sheep. And then he asked him a third time, Lord, he said, Peter, do you love me? And, and this time it says Peter wept because what happened is uh, Jesus started off asking, do you agape love me? Do you love me like God loves you? And, and in Peter's arrogance, he goes, well, sure. But then, God, then Jesus started drifting down and said, Peter, do you love me in a lower way? And Peter goes, yeah, that's pretty much where I am, Lord. I'm going to be there for you. But if you look in Peter's later in his life, if you look in 1 Peter chapter 5, he becomes an elder in the church. And he become, becomes instructive and caring and, and loving. And look in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. This is Peter writing. He said, to the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder. Now, you say, fellow elder. Let me ask you a question. Had you gone to Peter in his 30s, would he have called himself the fellow elder? No, he would have said, I'm pretty much the stud elder. He says, now I'm just an elder. I'm a fellow elder along with you. He says, to the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder um, and a witness to Christ's suffering. He says, I was there. I saw it, but I'm not going to brag about. Who also will share in the glory to be revealed. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Boy, it's kind of interesting. Peter, in the end of his days, reflects back to Jesus' words when Jesus put him back in the ministry. What did Jesus say? Tend my sheep, feed my sheep, care for my sheep. Now Peter's showing up at the end of his days, and what is he telling? He's telling the other elders, care for the sheep, shepherd the sheep, tend the sheep. He never forgot Jesus' words. Peter never forgot the fact that when Jesus put him back into service, it was because of his love and it was because of his grace. And so Peter is at the end, towards the end of his life, talking to the elders saying, listen, shepherd the flock that's among you. Care for the people that God brings your way. He says, uh, the shepherd, uh, shepherd God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. In other words, don't do it because, golly, I'm going to do this. He says, man, love those people as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but instead eager to serve. What was Peter said? Peter's saying, he's saying, don't be eager to be in charge. Don't, don't be eager to be the boss. Just look to serve other people. Shepherd them. Love them. Uh, not, only was so, not only was an elder, he became diligent. Uh, man, even his death approach, if you look over at 2 Peter, which we know is real close to his death, uh, he says, I think, uh, this is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 and 15, if you want to go read this later. He says, I think it is right uh, to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent, in this body. He says, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. In other words, I'm about to die. And he says, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure... You will always be able to remember and do these things. What was he saying? He says, I'm going to be an example for you, even to the last days, so that even after I die, you will be able to follow my example. That's what he wanted to be. He wanted to carry. He wanted to be diligent. He says, I'm going to be faithful to the end. I'm not going to pull back on the reins of my journey, my spiritual walk. I'm not going to try to coast in. I'm not going to cut the engines early so I can just, just coast in. He says, I'm going to be diligent until my last day so that perhaps you can gain diligence by watching how I uh, serve God until the last day. Is that where you are? If, wherever you are in your life, do you still have uh, the engines roaring? Are you still moving? Are you kind of coasting and saying, you know what, I, I've served my time. 
I, I've done my time. It's time for someone else to take take over now. Now, Peter said, "Man, I, I'm going to keep flying till my last day. I'm going to keep pushing on till my last day. I'm going to keep the engine revved up until my last day." Uh, and and here's something else that might be an encouragement to you. If you look in Second Peter chapter three, we see Peter publicly forgiving Paul. How many of you remember the Galatians incident? Where uh, Paul and Peter had it out. Remember, remember Peter showed up to the Galatian believers. How many of you remember the struggle the Galatians had? They always had Judaizers that were coming in. There were a bunch of Gentile believers. And the Judaizers, the Jews, said, you know, it's good to have faith, but you know, guys, you really need to be circumcised. Now, how many of you think that would just be an awesome thing to hear as a Gentile? You've just heard about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of your sins are forgiven. And then a couple of guys from Jerusalem roll in there and say, Hey, yeah, but you also need to change your diet. And you start need to eat rice cakes or whatever, you know, everything that they were doing. And he goes, then we need to get this circumcision done. Man, can you imagine the men's group that morning? What the dialogue was about, yeah, snip, snip, all right? And if you remember, you got to watch what you eat, watch what you do. And if you remember, Peter showed up, and his natural thing was to go total Pharisee. He wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. He wouldn't talk with the Gentiles. Why? Because he didn't want his brethren uh, of the the highbrow society of Christianity looking down on him. Boy, and you remember, Paul went and got after him. Remember in Galatians chapter 2, it says we went face to face. And if you look at that word, it says things got loud. Basically, Paul went in front of the group, in front of his people, in front of the Gentiles, and called him out. And he said, listen, if you think you're going to roll in here and go all spiritual and high and mighty, why don't we really talk about the Peter that Jesus knew? Can you imagine that? Let's talk about, and I told you Sunday and a a couple of weeks ago, that I think one of the scourges on the church is that... um, we want to ignore our past. We want to all be whitewashed tombs. We all want to pretend that I've always made the right decisions in every relationship and every business deal and everything I've ever done and I've always loved Jesus like I love Jesus today and ignore what happened in our 20s or 30s or perhaps two years ago. And so when someone walks into the church, and which is where they need to be coming and their life is broken, They look around and they go, man, everybody's got it together. Everybody's been in church all their life. And the truth is, some of the best, sometimes as we looked at last week in our our message, uh, is sometimes the best thing we can do is we can be open and honest about our past. And when we say, but for the grace of God, there go I, we're honest and we back it up with a story. Let me tell you, I I, I blew it in business. I, I, I blew it in a marriage. I blew it in a relationship. Man, I used to struggle with alcohol. I used to struggle in this area. I used to struggle in that area. And, and, and instead of making everything all pretty, let's be honest about who we are. And that's where we really see the grace of God. And so if you look in Galatians chapter 2, uh, Paul uh, uh, went to Peter, basically put his finger in his chest and began to pop him a little bit. And he goes, you are not all you're acting like you are. And he goes, and you're not demonstrating the grace of God the way the grace of God was delivered through His Son, Jesus Christ, by saying, now you gotta, you can't do this, and you can't do this, and you can't do this. And as you look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter is nearing the end of his days, and he says, bear in mind 
that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. What is he saying at the end? He's saying, man, Paul and I have patched it up. Paul's a, a great man of faith. And the encouragement for, for you in here today is if, if you're bitter at someone, if you're angry at someone, if they've called you out or you've called them out on something, man, take an example as you age gracefully. Try to patch it up. Try to, try to fix it. Try to, try to make things right. And that's what Peter did. Peter not only affirmed that he was his dear brother Paul, but then he said not only that, but what he wrote to you and what he said to you is good stuff too. It's good stuff too. And so those are a couple of biblical examples. Let me give you a couple of principles. Principles, biblical principles on growing old that hopefully we'll all listen to. Number one, ready? Whatever a man sows, that will, that will he also reap. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. That's biblical principle number one. If you and I were going to age gracefully, if we're going to age biblically, is we have to remember that idea. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Whatever you sow, that will you also reap. Galatians chapter 6, verse uh, 7 and 8, if that's a passage that, uh, um, that you want to write down. It says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh... From the flesh they will also reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit they will reap eternal life and eternal rewards. So we always have to remember, whatever, however you are, whatever, if you're in your 30s, if you're in your 40s, in the, in the room, how many of you are 50 and below? All right. How many of you are 50 and above? How many of you didn't raise your hand? You haven't done the DNA testing. You know, the, the truth is, it doesn't matter if you're 20 or if you're 50. This principle applies. Whatever you sow, that's exactly what you're going to reap. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap, reap destruction. If you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap reward and eternal life. And that's a principle that applies whatever decade of life in, whatever, whatever uh, station in life you're in, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're educated, whether you're uneducated. Everybody understands the principle. That's what I love about Jesus is Jesus didn't talk in analogies that anybody couldn't understand. He walked around. He says, here's the point. If a farmer goes out and plants corn, he shouldn't expect to get wheat. If a farmer plants wheat, he shouldn't expect to get corn. Now, there's also a principle that applies there is we shouldn't, a farmer doesn't go out today, plant corn today, and expect to harvest that night. And if you've been sowing to the flesh for a while, and all of a sudden you're going to start sowing to the Spirit, don't expect all of a sudden the day I start sowing to the Spirit that all of a sudden everything's going to go away. And, and this, this applies in our relationship. Man, uh, there, are, there are times and there are seasons and not times and seasons. It happens a lot in ministry. And those in ministry could tell you, and you might know this, that um, they got, got somebody that's married and, and one of them has just been a horse's rear for the last seven or eight years. Until one of them looks at them in, in a multitude of ways. take it out, And then one of them decides, I'm out. 
You know what I'm talking about? And the other person truly has a change of heart. I've seen that in my office. They truly have a change of heart. And they begin to sow and they begin to plant and they begin to, to, to do the right things. And then about 24 hours later, they come back and say, what's wrong with her? Are they, what's wrong with him? What, what's the point? The point is, man, you are reaping the fruit and the harvest of year, months or years or, or decades sometimes of sowing to your flesh anger and bitterness and harsh talk and mean talk. And that's all they've been reaping for a long time. And even if your heart has changed and your actions has changed, have changed for 24 hours, don't forget that the seeds that you sold six months ago when you, you, know, when you said that or did that or the seeds you sowed six years ago are still there and they're still producing fruit, what do you have to do? You start keep sowing good, keep sowing good, keep sowing good, keep sowing good, and know eventually... The fleshly crop and the destructive crop will die out as the spiritual crop and the good crop takes over. And so if you're in that season, in that situation right now, and you look back over your life and you think, man, I have changed. And, and as I look around, man, there, there are people that haven't accepted me yet or haven't embraced me yet. My encouragement to you is keep sowing. Keep sowing to the Spirit. Don't give up and don't quit. Because I will promise you, if you keep sowing to the Spirit, you will reap the rewards that God wants you to reap. Now, if you keep sowing to the flesh, if you look in Galatians, if you want to write this down, uh, just right before Galatians chapter 6, where he gives us that principle of sowing and reaping, he, he says this works in all areas of our life. Physically, let's, let's, before we even get uh, to, the, to the sins of the flesh, what about physically? Man, if you want to be healthy, and you're, now ultimately, none of us know our day. There's a time to be born, time to, time to die. Uh, there, there, I've, I've looked at people uh, uh, in my life, and uh, there have been people um, that I've thought they were going to die for the last 20 years. Anybody know anybody like that? I mean, just the way they live, you're like, dude, how are you still here? And then you look at some healthy dude, and he just drops, you know, and you're going, well, I don't get that. You know, there are certainly things in God's kingdom that, that we don't understand. However, physically, I, I want to do the best I can to stay in the best shape I can so I can serve God as long as I can. Now, there are always those things like cancer that shows up or some uh, genetic uh, uh, disorder that's always uh, can, can just show up at some time in some season. But the reality of it is, it, this is physical. When we, it's a physical reality. Whatever we sow, that we also reap. Well, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to 20 says, The acts of the flesh are obvious, all right? They're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, uh, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and then notice those next few words, and the like. In other words, Paul says that's a pretty exhaustive list, but he also says when, when it comes to sin, we're pretty creative. <laughs> we can add things to that list. Uh, and, and so he's saying, man, all of those things are so into the flesh, and if you sow to the flesh... 
He says, you're going to reap destruction. So if that principle applies in the fleshly or physical world, it also applies in the spiritual world. What, have, what, is, what are the spiritual things we should be sowing? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I love these things. He says, against these things there is no law. Against such things there is no law. What is he saying? Man, if, if you want to demonstrate love and grace to people, have at it. There's never a max. You never have to run out. You will never go wrong, is what he's saying, by loving someone another, another time, by saying, yes, I forgive you again. You will never go wrong by being that way. You will, you will never go wrong by um, making peace. You will never go wrong. If you try to make peace with someone who's, a, who's an enemy or uh, someone in your friend, one more time, you'll never go wrong. He says, man, against such things, there is no law. He says, if, if, if you want to show forbearance, if you want to be kind to someone again who doesn't deserve your kindness, guess what? He says, have at it. He says, it all pan out in the end. You just go, if you want to show goodness to someone, if you want to be faithful to God, if you want to be gentle, if you want to show self-control. In other words, as we age, as we journey on in our life, we shouldn't become more judgmental and more bitter and more angry. Guess what? That just moves us towards what? The fruit of the flesh. There, doesn't ever, there never comes a mark in my life. There will never come a mark in my life as your pastor where I no longer have to show you grace. Where I no longer have to show young people grace. Where I'll no, never have to, have to show and, and care more for others than I do for myself. That never goes away. I should constantly and always be planting those seeds uh, to the Spirit. So hopefully someday I will be here more and more to see uh, those seeds take root and ultimately produce flesh. So as we journey on in our life, we want to remember principle number one. You reap what your soul. Here's principle number two. You ready? Write this down. Man should not live by bread alone. Anybody know where that comes from? Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Real simple thought. Man should not live by bread alone. Now, now let me think on two words there. Bread he's talking about. I want you to know Jesus just wasn't talking about dough. All right? He wasn't just talking about, you're right. We need our food pyramid, and, you know, I need to make sure I get some meat and potatoes and more meat and more potatoes, all right? That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus wasn't saying, listen, if all you eat is bread, he wasn't just talking about the physical realm he, or the physical realm of food. He wasn't saying, listen, you got to mix in some fruits and vegetables, and you've got to get some bran in your diet, and you got to make sure that you stay regular. That's not what Jesus was saying. He was talking, the, um, the analogies used in man should not live by bread alone. He's talking about all the material world. He's saying if all you do is live your life to earn more and to make more and to uh, put more in your barns. Anybody remember a store like that? And so when your barns are full, I build bigger barns and I build more of this and I have more stuff for me. And then guess what? Jesus says and that to that man. There will come a day when God says, you fool. Today your soul will be required of you. 
Guys, if everything you are doing, if everything I'm doing is living for bread, living for me, trying to amass more spiritual things for me, at the end of the day, you're going to die and one of your idiot offsprings are going to waste everything you've stored up. Isn't that encouraging? Right? But he said, man shall not live by bread alone. But that word live is the second word I want to palm. When we think about the word living, he's not just talking again about your heart beating. He's not talking about that thump, thump, thump. He's just not talking about your breathing. He's talking about we want to live life to its fullest. Remember what Jesus said over in John chapter 10, verse 10? He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But then Jesus said, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Anybody remember that? He says, man, if all you're doing is living for bread, living for material things, living for selfishness, you're going to end up with brokenness. You're going to reap the flesh. You're going to reap destruction. He says, but if you live for the kind of life that God wants you to live, there'll be no end to your blessings. There'll be no end to the fruit. There'll be no end to the joy. And as Paul said a few minutes ago, when we show up in heaven, we won't hear you full. We'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that what we all want to hear? I just, I just want to someday, somehow, some way, when I look into God's eyes the best I can, him to look at me and somehow say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I think he might look at me and he goes, listen, <laughs> with what little I gave you, you did all right. And that's the way it is for a lot of us. And we look around at others and it seems like God, God, God gave some people a lot. We talked about it Sunday. I talked about, you know, God's the one that gives us the ability to, do, uh, to, to make wealth. And, and we talk about it. some people are really, really good at it. And I know some people that are really, really good at it, and they live to their flesh, and they live for more bread the next day. I know some people that are really, really good at it, and they're about as generous as they come. That's the way God would have us be. You say, how do I get to that place where I make sure I don't live a life that pleases the thief because he gets to steal, kill, and destroy, but I live a life that's more abundantly? How do I do it? It starts with John 14, 6. You might want to just write that down. Jesus said... I am the way, the truth, and he uses that same word again, the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. What is he saying? He says, I am the way. If you want to know how to go, where to go, how to live your life, how to work, Jesus said, I'm the way. Sure, spiritually and, and salvifically, he's saying, I'm the way to salvation. I am God's gift of salvation to the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said, I'm the way. If you want to know how to get to God, we're all separated from God by sin, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus said, I am the way. He also says, I am the truth. Man, we live in a world where the deceiver dominates, where Satan dominates. And that's part of this Rethink Conference is we're going we're gonna to deal with truth and we're going we're gonna to beat back the deception of the day uh, with the truth of God's Word and the reality of Christianity. 
But he says, I am the way, I am the truth. In other words, man, there's a lot of false jargon and junk that is out there. I mean, the media today and Hollywood today and social media today, they just bombard you with fake news. Anybody heard that? But the fake news I'm talking about is not about politics. It's about Christianity. It's about life. Fake news about if you embrace this sin, it's going to be okay, and this is real. And The truth is that's all a bunch of hooey. Jesus said, I am the truth. If you want to know the truth about how God feels about you, he's not a hateful, vengeful God, but he is a holy and righteous God. That's why it's so important that when we begin to talk to people who, who are hostile to the faith, that we go to Jesus because that's the dividing line. It's okay for you to have your little religion and, and, and do your little thing. And, but, but let me tell you what, when you go to Jesus, Jesus is the dividing line. That's where people sink or swim. That's where we either fish or cut bait. And Jesus is it. Now, when we come to Jesus, the beautiful thing about Jesus is even unbelievers have a pretty good view of who Jesus is because they've, they've heard what they wanted to hear, that he was compassionate, he was loving, he was caring, Jesus wept when Lazarus died. The truth is Jesus is the truth. And what is the truth? Well, if you think Jesus is so great, why was he here? Because God the Father loved you so much, he wanted to create a path and a way for you not to be separated from him for all of eternity, as we talked about it last week when we talked about hell, is the eyes of every person you look into. You're looking into the eyes of someone who's going to spend eternity somewhere. And that's got to bug us. That's got to matter to us. That every person's eyes that I look in today will spend eternity somewhere, either with God or apart from God. And as a result, that's got to drive me to passionately share my faith. And so where do I start with? I start with Jesus because Jesus is the truth. What's the truth? He was compassionate. Everything you think about Jesus is absolutely right. They didn't, don't get more gracious. They don't get more kind. They don't get more compassionate than Jesus. He did all of those things. He fed the 5,000. He walked on water, made the blind uh, uh, see and the lame walk. Jesus did all of that. But Jesus was also nailed to a cross for a reason. Because the same God the Father that sent him because he loved you nailed him to a cross through the hands of sinful men because that is your punishment that you deserve because of your sins, and that's just. But Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. The truth is for all of eternity, for every person who has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death. If we don't accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, that's my just punishment. That's the truth that Jesus brings, the compassion of a loving God who would send his own son to a vicious death on a cross to die and be buried in a borrowed tomb so that he would rise again the third day that whosoever Believed in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said, I am the truth. And that's the truth. Jesus is compassionate and loving just like his father. Remember as we come up to that passage, and I'm already looking at what I'm going to preach on Palm Sunday, when Jesus came up to, and begins to move toward Jerusalem. And he knows he's not coming out. As he's outside the city, it says he looks at Jerusalem and it says he weeps. 
He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long to gather you to myself? Why did Jesus weep? Because he knew they were fixing to throw down some palm leaves and palm branches, but they didn't get it. They thought maybe this dude is going to come in and set up his political kingdom. He wasn't there politically. He was there for our spirits, our hearts, and our souls. He could have been weeping because he knew some of you guys that are throwing these palm leaves down are going to be the same ones that are hollering, crucify me in a couple of days. He could have been weeping because he knew many would just simply reject the message. Spend eternity apart from God. That's the truth. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. He says, I am the life. I'm the life. See, Christianity isn't a bunch of ho-hum. It's not see how bitter I can get the older I get. It's about how much more gracious I can get, how I can keep sowing to the Spirit and loving and bearing fruit and seeing God's kingdom expand and reaching my neighbors and loving those who have, uh, those who have hurt me and are unloving to show grace to someone who hadn't shown grace to me, to be unbitter to someone who's bitter to me, to show peace when all the others are looking for war. That's what it means to age gracefully. So, guys, as we leave here today, sow the right stuff. Because if you sow, you will reap. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for these guys. God, I pray that we'd leave here today, whether there were those guys that were under 50, over 50, whatever season, whatever time we have left together, God. Let this group of men in this church who walk as believers in faith, let us be good seed sowers because we know whatever we sow, that we also reap. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God.